For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I was almost going to run upstairs and get my very Christmassy shirt. $70 I paid for it, and uh, I'm not going to get a chance to wear it on air. I'm very sad that I, I didn't run upstairs. I'll, I'll wear it to the pub tonight. We're going to go to the pub and have a bit of a sing and uh, get together with friends. Always a good thing to do if you karaoke. It's fun. We we love it. Me and my mates get get down there and we do it, and it's Fun. It's good for the vocal cords a bit too. So is the uh, the karaoke juice that we have, you know, on a Friday night. I think it's fun to do. Uh, some terrific guests coming up this hour. I'm talking about uh, a woman who refers to herself as a mum with an attitude. I like that. Her name is Sonia Poulton. We're going to be talking about Andrew Bridgen uh, leaving uh, the, uh, the reclaim party. Wow, I, that took me by surprise. We'll see if we can get Andrew on as well to have a chat about that. I've spoken to him uh not too long ago. Uh, also, we're going to get to uh, journalist and private investigator Christine Hart. She's going to be talking about uh, Tony Blair's meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu uh, about a ceasefire uh, of Gaza. Always good to get uh, some uh, some uh, he- the heads up from your boss while you're over there. It's probably part of it as well. They always seem to go there, don't they? And uh, even people like Ron DeSantis. Why did he go to Israel? I've got no idea why. What business has the governor of Florida got going to Israel? I, I don't get it. And I'm not talking about Gaza. I'm talking about long ago. It's a question you can ask yourself of many politicians. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, ask these questions. I think it's healthy to do that. Um, now, a victim of youth crime, and they do say youth crime. Of course, if it would have been a targeted hate attack by white kids, it would have been, that's how they would have described it. You know, hate crime, white kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it simply says a victim of youth crime who was attacked has been overwhelmed, thank goodness, by acts of kindness. Now, police have arrested how many of these young people do you think would have been involved in attacking this woman? How many? Five? Ten? Seventy-one. Seventy-one of them. And um, it happened in Townsville. So I guess I don't even need to uh, go any further where I would have there. You'll, You'll figure out who those 71 teenagers were, and of course, all swept under the rug. And people, the public, have had to come to the rescue of this particular woman and buy her a new car. They've bought her a new car. Her car was rammed repeatedly. These 71 teenagers uh, with hate in their eyes. In fact, I'll read the quote. Yes, they're children. But when you look in their eye, of oh, sorry, when the look of in the eye of your offender and you see the intent and just how much they want to hurt you, um, they need to be accountable for that behaviour. They certainly do. And so do those who raise them. So do the ones, their parents, who created teenagers such as that. And there is no amount of money that can fix that situation. There is no amount of money. There is a simple way you could do it. If you have children who are under the influence of of drug addict or alcoholic parents, parents who are violent, parents who uh, live in a culture that is everywhere around that particular area, the only way you could possibly help these kids, and you can't help those kids, you can't help those kids. No amount of money will help those kids. But younger children, I mean, very young children, the only way you could do it, many would argue I'm correct, and I'm not saying go do it. I'm saying uh, historically we've proven that if those children are taken out of that environment and raised by good people, then they turn out really well. The problem is roll on 20, 30, 40 years And there's an urn in saying that, gee, I really wish to be brought up by those other parents, the violent ones, the ones, the ones who were, you know, incest, rape, you know, violence, drug, drug and alcoholism. 
gee, I missed out on their company. So can you compensate us? And that's exactly what happened in this country. It's unbelievable. And those people turned out significantly better than they would have otherwise and certainly had been done far less harm for the most part. I'm sure there are some exceptions for that. Absolutely. I will acknowledge that, uh, especially those in the institutions. But those who found good foster parents who were well-meaning and did the right thing, well, I think uh, those people did well. But, I mean, this whole situation, uh, if you're living in an area where you have to combat 71 teenagers who want to ram your car, uh, possibly destroy it, well, they, they did destroy it completely, but possibly destroy you as well, um, I've got to ask you, the question is, why are you still in that area? I mean, are you unaware of the level of hatred, you know, that is is racial? And of course, you can't talk about that because it's all one way traffic on racial hatred street. We all know that it's it's horrific. And that in itself is racist. Yes, it really is. And it's frightening. A whole bunch more I could read on that, but I'm running out of time and I have to get to Gemma Cooper, which I always love to do. Now, at TNT Radio, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what. We've got you covered here at TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma Cooper, thanks for joining us. I mean, a, a woman attacked by 71 kids, her car rammed repeatedly. I mean, thank God there are some good people out there who have come to the rescue. They've got her a new car. I hope that that woman has the common sense to move elsewhere. But uh, it's amazing what goes on in this world. And of course, uh, governments here in Australia, recently in certain communities, they were taking away the cash where people, uh, bad parents could buy drugs, could buy alcohol. They gave them a cashless debit card. It could be spent on on transport. Uh, it could be spent on uh, food and any number of things, but not alcohol, certainly not drugs, illegal drugs from your local drug dealer. And then the Labor government, when they got in power in this country, gave it all back. And the problems have begun again, as one might imagine. Do you have any similar type scenarios happening over in the UK? Well, not as extreme as that. I mean, 71 that's really frightening, isn't it? The poor woman. That's that's all. That's just yeah, a gang to be beset on by a gang. We do have problems with gangs. Obviously, uh, London has got a really big problem with gang culture and knife crime. But it tends to be kind of contained. Uh, it's when we when it spills over and hits the headlines. You know, it's all about knife crime again. But it's that is kind of gang related. I mean, I'm not an expert in that field at all. Um, we certainly not had a headline like that. Uh, that's incredibly shocking. Yeah, Gemma, I've, I've spoken to a couple of ex-police uh, officers over in the UK over the last few months, and one of them told me that he was stabbed repeatedly, almost died. It completely changed the course of his career, having to switch to a desk job after that. And obviously, your laws in regards to gun crime over there, and it's funny, I'm going to sound like a, a bit of a hypocrite because, I mean, I personally, and, and I'll, I'll get this up front, I love the states in America that advocate for open carry firearms permits. I would, I would personally carry a weapon on me if I was allowed to. And if I go into a 7-Eleven and I see someone about to rob the guy, I'm going to do what a bunch of people in those states have done and I'm going to help out. I'm not going to stand by. I'm not going to wait for the police and it's all over. I'm going to do that. But having said that, we do realise that over in the UK, as a result of that, you don't get many shootings at all. You obviously have very strict gun, you know, gun crime rules. Um, but because the knife situation is so bad, over in the UK, why don't they simply, and I know they have recently, but not to the extent where it would be effective, raise, you know, maybe a minimum five-year sentence in jail for anybody carrying a knife that's obviously designed to do harm in a particular way? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what the sentencing guidelines are on knife crime. Um, I do know that a few years ago they had a knife amnesty. That was the way they tried to tackle it in the UK. Various police forces said, look, if you have knives, bring them in. No questions asked. <clears throat> we will dispose of them. Let's 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 try and work together, which I think is a, a good approach. I don't necessarily believe in the eye for an eye approach. I don't think it solves anything, but that's my own personal opinion, obviously. But anyway, so many knives were handed in. Um, they made this huge sculpture out of these knives and they took it on tour around the country and it was all knives that had been handed in. Uh, so I would argue that it hasn't solved the knife crime problem, but there was an instance where forces worked together with, with, with youths, with people carrying, it wasn't just youths, it was anyone carrying knives. What was really shocking is when you looked at the knives that were handed in. I mean, we're not talking your common or garden steak knife, Dean. You, we were talking huge, big knives, machetes, that kind of stuff. That was frightening looking at that. You were thinking, gosh, what is going on that people hey, feel Gemma, that they need those for protection? I have to do it. I've got to do it. That's not a knife. This <laughs> is a knife. Oh, but like seriously, <laughs> but it is. It's about having It's about having the bigger knife, isn't it? It really is. If someone pulls out a little pocket knife, it's got a three-inch blade. I mean, you could be severely overweight. It's, it's not even going to... Uh, it's not going to do much internal damage. And someone brings out one of those crocodile Dundee looking things, which I'm guessing is what some of them had, um, or a machete or worse. Yeah, the size of the knife really is going to increase the fear factor. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, obviously, you quoted that great movie there, you know, obviously, Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> which your country is so famous for. Brilliant film. But we're not making a joke of knife crime. You know, let's no. make that clear. We're not joking around about that. Um, and the sculpture that was made out of these knives was huge. It's massive. It's very, it's very creative perfect. that they did that. I have to give them points for creativity. It is one way to say, you know, you could have uh, you could have been a part of this. You could have handed your knife in. But unfortunately, those who are in that culture where they know uh, if I hand in my knife and the other guy doesn't, they're putting their own life at risk. I mean, the common sense answer is don't be part of a culture where you're likely to be stabbed, but then it comes crime and money and drugs and whatever else goes with that. And so we do understand how it works. And again, you could argue it comes down to a lack of um, severe penalties because in countries where they have the death penalty for those who, who uh, either import or even export or sell drugs, those who end up at the end of a noose, those countries have very, very low, compared to us Western nations, a very, very low uh, drug crime rate. Yeah, I mean, the death penalty is a very controversial subject. Uh, I, I don't really want to go there as we're heading into know, the but, Christmas season. But it does season, work. But you, you have to look at the numbers, whether you like it or not. I mean, there's no there's no arguing that it is effective. Yeah, to be continued. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, 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 knew I'd, I knew I'd put you on the spot there, but I mean, numbers are numbers. I, that, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, Gemma, what did you have for us today? Well, we talked at the top of the last hour, um, uh, you touched on your, Christ your Christian Catholic upbringing and uh, your last guest as well, you were talking about um, uh, Christmas and Christ and that all of those issues that we think about, a lot of people think about at this time of year. And I thought you'd be interested to know that there's a, a Christian teacher who uh, has just been found uh, guilty of unacceptable professional conduct for refusing to teach uh, LGBTQI ideology in her religious education Good class. Yeah, and well, she she refused. She was fired. She was wow. fired last year from the Bishop of Justice Church of England School in the southeast of England, um, and she took the the case to the Teaching Regulations Agency, who 
<clears throat> just yesterday said no you are guilty of unacceptable professional conduct they haven't banned her from teaching though indefinitely yeah. which is a good step um but she says she felt like she was treated like a dangerous criminal for refusing to teach gender ideology uh, it encompassed pansexual asexual intersexual and transgender uh, and she expressed her own beliefs as a catholic christian and she said to the students in year seven so quite young kids yeah. that god believes that humans are born male and female and that lg this is where the controversy came she says god believes humans are born male and female and then she went on to say that she believed lgbtqi practice is sinful and that's why she was fired for calling it sinful. Um, so the, uh, she, her case was supported by a Christian um, legal charity who said that, that she was expressing her own beliefs, um, but the school disagreed. And so did the teaching regulations agency yesterday. But they haven't banned her. They haven't banned her. She's quoted as saying, I did what I did because children are being taught an extreme narrative with no debate. And yet for expressing and teaching Christian beliefs on these issues, I am the one accused of not presenting a balanced view. So, you yeah. you know, this is something we're coming across in every area of society, isn't it? It's not just in, in relation to trans. Jim, it really is horrific, but it's an easy way to combat. I told my son from a young age, probably year five, I said, if they ever bring up certain topics, and believe me, I could have an adult conversation with him when he was that young. Um, if they ever, the teachers ever introduced that type of topic, I want you to get up, walk out, Get your phone out of your bag, ring me, I'll pick you up from school every time. Get up and walk out of the class. And if every parent did that to their kids and these teachers just got up and started babbling on this complete codswallop, this stuff would just stop overnight. Likewise, when we do things at Sporting, uh, uh, we have a thing called Welcome to Country, where Indigenous people who have no more rights in this country than us, but certainly no less, get up in front of a stadium of 80,000 people and have the audacity, the hide, if you will, to welcome us to our own country. Many of us born here, all citizens, and uh, I think it's completely rude. And I find myself and my son being two of the only out of 80,000 who sit down for that. And they always con people into it. They say, stand for welcome to country and the national anthem. No, I think I'll wait for the national anthem. If everybody did that and sat down, and it was advocated, by a man, a man named Sam Newman here, an ex-VFL uh, or a AFL, as it is now known, player, that people do that. And that's what we need to do. We need, When we hear this nonsense, whether they be our children or ourselves, if, if we can't stop them from doing it, we can stop ourselves from being subject to it. And we can certainly show our disdain for it by sitting, kneeling, you know, leaving, coming back later, or simply telling your kids to get up and walk out. And that's what we need to do. That's how we fix this. Well, I mean, this woman, she did stand up. She did stand up. She did say, look, there is another view and it's a Christian view. It's my view. I think where she got into trouble was saying that that LGBTQI was sinful. I mean, you have to cast your mind back. It wasn't that long ago that homosexuality was regarded in the same way. And I've got yeah. plenty of gay friends, no, plenty of gay people. And I wouldn't say they were sinful at all. Um, so that, I think that's the controversy. Um, but she is right that the school was teaching one narrative. And when she expressed a different narrative, which was based on Christian teachings, she says based on Christian teachings, she was the one accused of, 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 of being dogmatic. Well, you, it, it doesn't really add up that argument, but she did stand up and she did express herself. And for that, she was fired. She was cancelled. So nothing's gone away over the last three, three and a half years about you challenge a certain type of argument, you will still be cancelled. I mean, she took it to the Teaching Regulations Authority, but yesterday they had to say, no, you're unprofessional, but they didn't ban her.
they didn't yeah, well, ban her. So at least there's some tacit re- recognition of freedom of expression there. And hopefully somebody, another educational institution will give her another job. Oh, I hope so too. And the reason that I advocated for my method is it takes the pressure off those who are brave enough to do it because they can only go after individuals. They can't go after us as a large group. That's the that's the point of that. But, uh, you know, certainly, and you made another terrific point. I mean, I've got so many gay friends, it's not funny. And I've had many a conversation with them. But one thing that I had is that they were dragged into this long alphabet group. And they're so different from others who, and now they're saying, well, you're all, you, they're putting them all in one basket where I think everybody's cool with gay people. Why wouldn't you be? Let them do, who cares? Absolutely, who cares? But now that they're trying to introduce other agendas and putting them all into the same basket, I think it's very unfair to do that to gay people. And I think they should take a stand and say, sorry, we, we have a certain way of life. Their way of life, it's not the same as ours. Please don't, you know, put us all in the same basket. I think that's uh, something that they should do as well. But anyway, that's just my opinion, and it's worth what it is. Uh, Gemma Cooper, you are terrific, and I hope you have the best Christmas ever. You're looking wonderful. I'm glad you're over the dreaded lurgy, and um, I think you're going to have a a massive Christmas, and I hope to hear all about it when we return next Thursday. Thank you, Dean. And you have a really Merry Christmas too. And it's been lovely working with you. And I'll see you next Thursday when we'll be back 6am UK time and 4pm Australia time. Looking forward to it. Merry Merry Christmas, mate. Fair dinkum. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy you a, mon- a monkey for your motor, mate. All right. See, <laughs> see. I'll, if I get a car for a monkey, I'm, I'm going to keep, I'm going to drive it. I'm going to go past the ULES cameras. I'm, I'm coming over. I'm coming over one day. Trust me. Jim, you're terrific. And we uh, We'll talk to you next time. Coming up after the break, Sonia Polden, who is a mum with an attitude. I love the sound of that. Let's talk to her after this here at TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malsberg on TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. I did introduce her as a mum with an attitude and wow, I mean, but on top of that, she has many, many more things. I promise you that. A journalist, a broadcaster, a commentator, a filmmaker, if you will. But when you add mum with an attitude to the mix, that is the wow factor right there. I'm talking about Sonia Pulton, and we've got her on with us here at TNT. Hey, Sonia, how are you going? I'm great. Thank you, Dean. Thank you for having me. Hope you're well. 
I'm doing very well. It's Christmas. Some days off as a self-employed person, I don't get those very often and I, I tend to make Indeed. the most of them. So now something that really surprised me because I have spoken to him on my program several times is MP Andrew Bridgen going to leave right. the, the Reclaim Party. What, what prompted that? What's happening? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I actually knew those cards were on the table several weeks back when I was approached by a source asking me, what did I think about Andrew Bridgen being in the Reclaim Party and what were my personal thoughts about the Reclaim Party? Now, of course, I'm a journalist and a journalist with integrity, so one shall not re re release one's source on this matter. But I, I made it clear that uh, the Reclaim Party is not a serious political party and Andrew Bridgen is nothing if not an ambitious politician. And there is a general election coming up in the UK next year. And the chances of Andrew being re-elected as a politician for the Reclaim Party were almost zero. So it was inevitable to me that he would be leaving the Reclaim Party. I just didn't expect it to be before Christmas. Yeah, it, it is surprising. I mean, it's funny, you could argue, like here in this country, you know, where we, we've got the parties are the two the right and admittedly I've run for two of them uh one nation with Pauline Hanson and Clive Palmer you know one of the richest men if not the richest man in Australia uh he had the United Australia party and solely because they were preaching a narrative they were very anti-lockdown anti-mandate things that I advocated for personally I thought I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do it I know I've got Buckley's of getting in certainly in the lower house and they only got one into the senate but I guess you know you kind of still stand um it's a way I can look my son in the face and say, I, I had a right. belief and, and I stood up and I did something. The public didn't go for it. So, I mean, maybe that's where he was coming from. But at the same time, I mean, I'm finding it hard to believe that when we have this duopoly, you know, Labor and, and Conservative, you know, and it's the same as here in Australia as it is there in the UK, people not waking up to it. And in fact, going the, the opposite way I thought they would after the last three years, Labor almost guaranteed to get in. So you could argue he probably saved himself a whole bunch of time because if you're not going to get elected, you could argue it is a waste of time. But sometimes you've got to go the other narrative that I just explained. Yeah, absolutely. In in the UK, our political system is completely broken. And I know that's echoed all around the world. We like to kid ourselves that we have a democracy. We have nothing of the sort. Yeah. The last couple of uh, prime ministers were put in by, you know, people behind the scenes at Number 10 Downing Street. They weren't voted in by the public. Rishi Sunak was not voted in to the office of prime minister by the British public. And he's there simply because Rishi Sunak fulfills a number of important roles, not least his family wealth comes from Infosys, which is his father-in-law's um, Indian high-tech company, which is also sort of correlated with AI as well. Rishi Sunak is also a former banker, so he's very interested in a cashless society, pushing forward CBDCs. So we have those issues going on. Now, Andrew obviously comes from the same party originally, the Conservative Party, but the reality is we don't have an opposition in the UK. Our opposition party is led by Sakia Starmer. You couldn't get more establishment if you tried, Dean. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So there is no actual opposition. So there is a real thirst and hunger for a true alternative. There is a gap in the market and, and there are a number of parties which have popped up in an attempt to fill that particular hole. So Reclaim is one of them. Another one is Reform. Another yeah. one is Heritage Party. But the problem with Reclaim, it really is essentially Lawrence Fox, who is an actor yeah. by trade, and a website, but they seem to have some really good funding going on. And I actually read both of the um, press releases that both the Reclaim Party and Andrew Bridgen released on their parting. 
And it was one of, I, I've been a journalist for a very long time. So, I, you know, I'm sure like you, I read things and I can read between the lines yeah. very quickly about where the essence of this is really coming from. And it was absolutely evident to me that both these press releases were completely sanitized, real PR jobs. And I think one of the things that people were attracted to in regards to the Reclaim Party was this idea that they were alternative. It wasn't going to be the usual sort of political speak that we are accustomed to. But those press releases were very much like that. But there was one line which caught my attention. And that was the fact that the Reclaim Party had given a considerable donation to Andrew's campaign fund. And I immediately went, ah, oh, that's some sort of severance pay. Yeah. That's what's going on there. And obviously it's couched in wonderful PR terms, so nobody is offended by the parting here, but it was absolutely inevitable. I doubt the Reclaim Party is going to last much longer, in all honesty. And and I think Andrew knew, you know, a, a few months back that the writing was on the wall because Lawrence Fox had attempted to get in um, into a seat in London, not far away from where I'm living, actually, and had failed miserably. I don't think he even got his uh, deposit back, actually. I think he had so few votes because obviously you have to get a certain amount of votes yeah. in order to be able to get your Same deposit here. back. Same thing here. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so I think Andrew Ridgen is facing a number of, of interesting scenarios right now is because people are quite divided about him. Because Andrew, you, you talked about how you were anti-lockdown, et cetera. I was as well. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that to me, that's just, co it was just common sense. Correct. It wasn't, yes. It wasn't anti really anything. It's just we were looking. <laughs> it was, looking it was pro freedom, facts. pro common sense. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. We were portrayed as in, in insane ways, anti vaxxer, you know, a lot of demonizing. And, and Sonia, can you, you just brought something, you know, to the fore because I love the way you talk. Yeah. Is, you know, here we are talking about we weren't anti anything. So all of right. those people behind the push to make us anti this and, you know, to, to put, to portray us in the negative. I mean, who are these people? How are they in They're positions pushers. of power? Yeah. I mean, how did they yeah. ever get there? Well, that, we know how. We know <laughs> yeah. how. They're compromised, aren't they? I mean, the, you know, yeah. I did a... I'm an investigative journalist by trade, and and uh, about ten years ago, there was new bills going through Parliament, and one of them was to do with um, the health and social care bill, and that was to do with our NHS, our National Health Service, which is our pride and joy. Right, I am happy to be a taxpayer to pay for the National Health Service, so that you have medical treatment at the point of of need. Oh, yeah. And I had no I had no problem with that whatsoever. But what I discovered in my investigations is that 315 MPs and Lords who were voting for these new reforms had shares and ties to private healthcare companies. I, I knew you'd say that. I, I could see it going. Wow. It, it's astonishing. But at a local level, you're not actually allowed to do that in the UK. But at national level, you can. I mean, go figure. So in answer to your question, the reason why they're there is because they're compromised, because they are, you know, linked to Big Pharma and all these other places. And, and it's about it's about influence, isn't it? I'm very much somebody who's I've worked very independently as a journalist. You know, I've worked in the mainstream for a very long time, but I was always the sort of token radical. And yeah. I was I was always there really to make it look as if there was some semblance of balance, but both you and I know there was none really. It was, you know, what no, <laughs> yeah. Noam Chomsky talks about is that it's a very small circle of, of influence that you can actually have in, in mainstream discourse. And that was what was really going on. But these people are compromised. That's the reality. And to a degree, Andrew Bridgen was when he was in the Conservative Party. He voted for lockdown. 
he was pictured having the jab so he was promoting I didn't know the that. jab i did not know that that's yes wow. my man absolutely wow. and that's where there is a difference of opinion about him but you know i think this calls into question another area dean and that is how far do we go in terms of forgiveness? Because if we're angry with everybody who was against us, but then they see the light, are we to remain angry with them? Surely we need to embrace them, bring them in and, you know, make our sphere of influence larger. But some people are, find him his behavior so unconscionable that they cannot forgive him. So, yeah, it's, it, it, it is, you know, it, it's tricky, I think. I'm, I'm not one. Maybe it's the Irish in me. I'm not one. Big on on forgiveness, uh, you know. I, I I have a long memory, and I tend to be very wary of those who have ever <laughs> done this over for a long, long time. Uh, I love right. I love the way you talk. By the way, it's terrific. It's just absolutely Thank wonderful. You. The, the, your take on the world. Stay there because I want to continue this if you've got the time. Uh, on the other side of a very short news break here at TNT Radio, we'll return with Sonia Paulton after this. Okay, everybody, listen up. Big news. Big news. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The White House has failed to name a single thing it's doing to combat the record surge in illegal immigrants. President Joe Biden has publicly declared Donald Trump an insurrectionist. And despite repeatedly denying he had anything to do with his son's foreign business dealings, new records released by House Republicans this week show President Biden exchanged emails with one of his son's business associates, not once or twice, but a staggering 54 times. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah, 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa. Or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Welcome back to the program. I don't have to thank you for joining us because I'm talking to Sonia uh, Poulton and I know you absolutely couldn't leave. She is phenomenal, a journalist, a broadcaster, <laughs> a commentator, a filmmaker, a mum with an attitude and an all round grand gal, if I may. Uh, Sonia, welcome back <laughs> to the may. program. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, I've got to ask this question. Now, we we go across the pond, we go to France, and there's Marine Le Pen. She's got a real chance. I think she's fair income. Uh, we've got Geert Wilders. You know, we've got other countries in the uh, in in the EU, certainly some of our northern neighbours up that way, who uh, have very different views on uh, what is considered conservative, what is right, what is wrong, and I'm loving the way they think. Why is the UK still so, just like Australia, caught up in this duopoly and haven't woken up yet. They just absolutely have no clue. They're in the matrix. They'll say no to that red pill. They'll never take it. And I wonder if we're ever going to wake up. No, is the short answer. I suspect not. And do you know why? Because even though there are issues, absolute plain issues with the political system in the UK, you have people online day in, day out saying, if you vote for this party, if you follow this leader. And so I think we need to dis dismiss the idea of the whole political system. I think we need a social system. 
Yeah. Now, I it would change the structure completely. I think we need to become far more localised. The moment everything becomes centralised, that is where the problem is. Our MPs are globalist MPs. Their interests are not in the UK, are not with the British people. Our MPs are far more interested in what's going on in Israel and Ukraine and other parts of the oh, world. Yeah. And that is, that is really problematic to us. And the thing is, we... I'm really sick of heroes. We need no more heroes. We need to make heroes of ourselves, right? We need to, I mean, I think that is literally what we need to do. We need I to love be, that. We, well, we're raised in a system, aren't we? An educational system. I, I don't know about the Australian system and I, I don't know what it's based on, but in the UK, our education system is still from the 18th century. It was actually designed to stock the factories. It was designed to create people who weren't thinkers, who didn't question the status quo. Now, I was raised in a family that taught me from the get-go to question everything. And so I literally grew up, like literally questioned everything, Dean, probably yep. too much. At, I at, mean, at you both, stage. yeah. You know, but that's not a bad thing because it means that I don't follow blindly. And so I can literally look at these sort of political leaders and say, well, they're, they're not offering anything different. They are globalists. And you mentioned... Uh, Marine Le Pen, for example, and actually there's also uh, Georgia Maloney in Italy. And what's interesting is a lot of times these people promise A and when they get into power, they give you B, C and D. And that is what is happening in Italy, for example. And in the UK, they, they literally don't even bother trying to pretend that they're going to be, you know, exactly as they, they tell you on before you go to the ballot. And so we, we do have a problem. Politics is, if, if we say in the UK, is showbiz for ugly people, right? And <laughs> and I... Terrible, well, I know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to steal that. Sorry, go on. But, you know, the thing is, a lot of our politicians are going on celebrity shows, on game shows. It's absolutely ridiculous. So many of our politicians, the, the government, the leading party, are part of a news channel right now. They're doing everything except the job that they've been voted in to do. Yep. Now, I, I, I am politically homeless. There is absolutely nobody I could trust with a vote. And I do believe that we need to change the system. What we're currently doing is we vote for the least worst person. Yes, yes. What a, what a terrible state of affairs. <laughs> Absolutely I... atrocious state of affairs. And I would just like to say one thing about Andrew Bridge, and even though I'm on the fence about him, the one thing that I do believe he's done and done very well is raise the issue of excess deaths in the UK. And I think he's done that above and beyond what other politicians have been prepared mm. to do. And and that is excellent. But there are obviously lots of questions about him. I think, uh, you know, he's he's I, I'd be surprised if he goes independent. Um, I, I expect he's hoping to be embraced back into the Conservative Party as one example. But again, it's there's no alternatives going on here. We need to change the system and we need less globalist MPs. What do you I presume you have globalist MPs, Dean? Oh, that would be pretty much all of them, except the ones who have been pushed out of the, the duopoly. And, and I have a couple of them as regulars here. We've got a, a couple in on the crossbench, such as Senator Malcolm Roberts, who's not just a, a friend of mine, but one of the most prominent outspoken uh, politicians in this country. A very, very few you can trust. We've got Craig Kelly, who was in our Liberal Party, your Conservative Party, and uh, he was pushed out of the Liberal Party uh, solely because he advocated for things like hydroxychloroquine, for ivermectin. They called him wow. a, a crackpot in a nutcase. Obviously, the data supports everything that he had to say was against remdesivir, 
all that stuff. And he found himself uh, uh, with uh, Clive Palmer and myself at the United Australia Party. Uh, a lot of funding. It was the most well-funded party at our last federal election, and we only got 4% of the vote. It was just absolutely crazy. Wow. I I love what you said about be your own hero. And I recently quoted somebody as saying the reason that we have, we find ourselves where we are is through rank cowardice. Those of us who didn't want to speak up, who noticed the problem, and those who didn't notice the problem, they're fair enough. But for those of us who did, we remained too quiet. We didn't want to be called a name. We didn't want to be called out. We didn't want to be, you know, any of those things. And it is rank cowardice as a group that has got us from there to here incrementally. And unfortunately, over 30 years or 40 Spot years, on. wow, it's a big, it's a long journey, even if it is only one step at a time. But I mean, that's how we got here, isn't it? Absolutely. But also don't forget the complicity of mainstream media. The brainwashing has been absolutely phenomenal. My taxpayer money was used by the Conservative Party, the government, to scare people. They had their nudge units attached to number 10. They spent at the last count 122 million putting out posters saying things like, even if you don't see it, you could be carrying it. Oh, and, you know, yeah. look, look, look me in the eye and tell me that you don't care and stuff like this. Absolutely horrendous propaganda. And so when people are overwhelmed with this and they're told that there is this mystery infection that is all around us that we can't even see if people are carrying it, it is a horrible. It's a psychological trick. I studied psychology, so I was really unfortunate in that regard. I very quickly picked up, up on their tricks. Also, being a journalist, I was very aware of what was going on. But also to say our media was totally complicit in another way, and that was during the COVID period. They weren't receiving great ad revenue. But guess who was giving them the biggest ad budget spend that they were getting? The, the government. Pharmac oh, the government. The, the government. I was expecting the pharmaceutical industry then. Well, yeah. that was second, actually, Dean. Well done. It was second. But the government were giving our, our mainstream media, our main channels, the biggest ad budgets, uh, you know, compared to, to nobody else because other people were sort of removing their advertising there was you know withdrawal of advertising and various other things but yeah the government and so our media was completely complicit because they were compromised oh, yes. you know how these things work it's like oh my god we don't we don't actually question covid because that's our ad budget out the window this is no way to approach news and it's and, and so that's what was happening to the public so it is cowardice certainly but there was also brainwashing and fear taking place and you only have to look back to propaganda from you know prior eras to know how it works and how fear is a brilliant tactic to use to manipulate people. And that was what was taking place. But yeah, be your own hero, stand up and be counted. And, you know, because what's the worst they can do? Kill you? Yeah. And what? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, if we don't act, it's going to be happening to our kids and our grandkids, and that's exactly. why I'd rather fight that, as I know you would, than have them do it. Uh, a couple of things, yes, here in Australia, the media was tax-exempt tax exempt during that, provided they, they pushed the, the narrative. Uh, because Look. you are of Irish descent, I will quote Sigmund Freud that the Irish are impervious to psychoanalysis, something that I have found to be very true. They have an inherent yeah. understanding of psychoanalysis. It's like having a firewall. And hence, I know where you're trying to go with that, so I'll, I'll stop you right there. Yeah. And as a result of that, I would suggest that you would be rarely surprised by anything on a psychological level, but something, and I could say the same of myself, but the level of, of, of 
fear that was pushed and I really didn't see it. I couldn't believe it was as effective as it was when there was so much information to suggest a lack of body bags in the street, for example, a lack of people with the flu. And it was so obvious, yet so many people, smart people, intuitive people put that you know, out the back, in the backyard and forgot about that because fear ruled everything. I could not believe it, but I'll never forget it. Same, absolutely same. And the thing is, obviously, they're trying it again, aren't they? We, yep. we, we're we seeing it over here. I mean, I, I went to, obviously, Christmas out shopping. People have started to wear masks again. And I, oh. I, I, was, I, was, I was in the queue at uh, Marks and Spencer, as you do, and having a conversation with a woman behind this muffled mask. And we actually had got into a pleasant conversation. It wasn't a confrontation. It was a pleasant conversation. And I, I said to her, why are you wearing it? And she said, well, you know, because obviously the infection is starting up again. And in that period of time, I was able to give her details of several studies that she should look at about the problems of wearing masks. And so I believe very much each one teach one. This whole idea that we don't need necessarily to be talking to millions in order to be able to educate people. We can literally stand next to somebody in a shopping queue and strike up a conversation, a pleasant conversation, so it doesn't feel they don't feel like they're being harassed, and just inform them very kindly. This is the way this is the way it really works. And you know, the thing is, is that she said to me, because I said to her, I'm a journalist, and she contacted me on my website. She said, I've this was in the early hours of this morning. She said, I've been reading those studies. I had no idea. Wow. You know, a couple of things. Teach I'll just, one, teach one. I, I've got to quickly touch upon, you talk about the people with the masks. You know, I got an exemption from day one. And before I had that, you know, I just didn't wear one. I wasn't going to comply. Um, I, I had a couple of dental implants done. And for 24 hours, I had two two teeth missing. And I literally, from going from the car park to the dentist, I absolutely, I wore a face mask because I was embarrassed, you know, and, and you know, I had to screw the new teeth on. And um I had never been so embarrassed. I would have been less embarrassed to go out in public with a couple of missing front teeth than I would have to wear the mask. And subsequently, I took it off halfway through. And I swear I heard people walking past saying, look at the guy with the mask. And I remember thinking, you were the idiot, right. mate, who was wearing it for a year when I wasn't. You know, I, I, I actually heard it. The other thing I've got to quickly touch upon is a point that you reminded me of. You know, we've got no real political choices. There's no candidates that you would choose in the UK. When we had Nigel Farage as part of the Brexit party, they could have gone to the general election, won, apparently done something, and then they stood down and just, just handed it over to the mainstream political parties. I, I, I'll never understand that as long as I live. Nigel Farage is a celebrity. He was just in I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here jungle for £1.5 million. Um, pounds. And uh, so, again, this is somebody who really wants to be, is more starstruck than anything else. But I should say that Nigel Farage had difficulty even getting voted in in his own constituency. I think he went up seven times and failed. Wow. But Nigel, yeah. But Nigel Farage has, has always had an extraordinary amount of publicity over here. And that is because he is far more of a showman than anything else. So, you know, I mean, this is the world we're living in where politicians are starstruck. I, if, if, if I'm going to vote for anybody, Dean, I want them to be interested in the fact that our, our utilities are so shockingly expensive that our health service is deliberately being destroyed by the government. These are the things that I want a politician to focus on, not whether you know he or she is going to be able to go on the circuit and do a tour. I'm not interested in that. That is not why we vote for politicians, right? 
Sonia, I've run out of time, but I have to get a promise from you that we can do this again. I've enjoyed this way too much. It has been absolutely phenomenal. You are a breath of fresh air. And I, I can't wait till the next time that we do it again. Oh, bless you. Merry Christmas to you, Dean. Take good care of yourself. The same to you and yours. She's so wonderful. I did go over time. My apologies to my next guest. But, um, you know, when you got to, you got to. Everybody, that was Sonia Poulton, journalist, broadcaster, commentator, filmmaker, and mum with an attitude. Wow. We're going to be back after this break with Christine Hart here at TNT Radio. Stick around. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Hello, all you lovers of good weather. This is your climate and weather watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi. And, of course, we're in the holiday season. Everybody is happy. There's world peace all over the place. The climate issue has been solved. Maybe it hasn't been solved. Anybody remember that old Steve Martin routine? Steve Martin is an American comedian where he goes, you can be a millionaire and not have to pay taxes. That's right. Two simple ways to become a millionaire and not pay taxes. Number one, make a million dollars. Number two, whenever someone comes up to you, say, I forgot to pay my taxes. Two simple ways of doing things. I was thinking about that. That is such a simplistic approach. Now, when I look at the climate spokespeople, specifically, let's say AOC, she was a bartender. All right. Now, of course, she's a member of the U.S. Congress. And then we had Greta Thunberg. And I put up a meme this morning on Twitter, which, by the way, was wrong. She actually did get out of high school. I don't know how she got out of high school because she was leading a strike every week. But she's a high school graduate. Then we have Al Gore, who flunked out of divinity school. Shock. (laughs) At Vanderbilt. And then, of course, John Kerry with his D in geology. Now, that's fascinating because at least in geology, all you need to do is look at what happened before. At least in the climate, you know, you are looking at what's happening before, but you're trying to measure it against what's happening now. And of course, meteorology, you can forget about it because that's actually trying to predict everything in the future. But the good news for you is that here is something you can make a ton of money with climate change. And you don't have to have any expertise at all. Now, that should be a threat to you PhDs out there that are making your living on this. Because if you get a bartender and a high school graduate to become major spokesman, what does it say for that PhD in climatology? This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready. Because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov kids. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back. Have you lot who have been following my program for most of the year realised how much happier I, I feel today that I've got my UK hour back? I'm really enjoying it more than you might imagine. Uh, my next guest, Christine Hunt, is a journalist, a private investigator, uh, and sometimes, uh, sorry, Sunday Times bestselling author. She was trained uh, by an ex-MI6 officer 
then ex-CID officers and has worked in the, as a private detective for over 35 years. She's also worked at the Daily Mail as an investigator for over a decade. It is my immense pleasure to welcome Christine Hart to the program. Hey, Christine, how are you going? Hi, Dean. How are you? What's it like over there in sunny Australia? It, it is sunny. I don't think it's going to be that sunny on Christmas Day. But as a self-employed person who's about to have four days off, I am I am re relishing that particular thing. So uh, it's good. Um, okay. Now we're going to be talking about Tony Blair. Now he's currently what, heading off to, or is currently with Benjamin Netanyahu at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a lot of bad feeling over here in the UK about it. People see him as a warmonger. They, you know, remember him from Iraq and they think it's going to be nothing but bad um, him going over there. Uh, some journalists think that actually we should give him a chance. And, you know, he helped in Northern Ireland, in Bosnia, other places. I know some pa Palestinians I've spoken to think that he he's a good negotiator and apparently out in the middle east they call him the fox because he's such a good negotiator so so they've got fingers crossed and a lot of the palestinians i'm speaking to they're kind of hoping that there's going to be this arrangement where there's some green belt uh, around uh, the strip and that they will be allowed to go out there to a safe zone and israel will finish off what they're doing hunting down Hamas, and then they'll be allowed to return. So this is what they're hoping for. But whether Tony Blair will be able to persuade that to happen, who knows? It'll be very interesting. I mean, my my Christmas wish is that, you know, no more innocent women and children are killed on either side. I mean, that would be the ultimate outcome of this. I mean, uh, Israel has a, a substantial military. I would have loved to have seen them go in there with, you know, boots on and go after Hamas that way, rather than this blanket bombing of Israel, which I, sorry, of um, of Palestine, which I found absolutely abhorrent, if, if I'm honest. And I do understand that they were trying to make a point, but the simple fact is whenever I see dead or injured children, it just, it breaks my heart, simple as that. Yeah, I mean, me too. I've been following it, watching them, speaking to some contacts I have in Palestine, and it's really horrific, and the whole world's watching it, and I actually think that the world has changed. It seems to have crossed over a line or a boundary, and something has changed. It started to change with the advent of COVID. We had the lockdowns, that was global. Then we had the vax, that was global. And now this attack on Palestine, that's global because there's marches all around the world uh, against it. And a lot of people think it's a sign of end times. It's some kind of Satan has been let loose, uh, this kind of thing. And I do find it very interesting that AI is involved. I know uh, Israel are using this AI called the gospel and also, uh, Tony Blair is very into his AI. He wants everybody to have these, you know, these uh, smart cards to show they've been faxed. And he's, you know, his website is full of AI. I mean, that's the only thing he, he does, really. So I'm wondering if he's going over there just to talk AI. And if you watch the opening scenes of the movie Terminator, you'll see the bulldozers going crunching skulls and bones. Yeah. And that's really, that was about AI. And that's what you're seeing now. The, the bulldozers are going in and they're crunching over the bones. I mean, it's quite spooky and it's quite scary that these two 
uh, warlords, really, that are going to get together and talk AI. I mean, it's going to be on the table for sure. So what what are they going to talk about? What's really going to go down? We'll probably be told one thing and they'll be talking about another. Yeah, in this country, they've already got a card to prove you've been vaccinated. It's called a Medicare card and you're probably only likely to need it if you did get vaccinated in the last couple of years. Sorry, that is a tongue-in-cheek joke, but I mean, the just the amount of negative health outcomes that we've seen, my own family on one side included, uh, it's just horrific. <laughs> now, at the end of that, could you tell me a bit about that, um, the Israeli AI system that you mentioned? I mean, how are they using it? I've never heard of that before. Oh, right, yes, the AI system they're using, uh, called the gospel, yeah. they're using to show them how to hunt down Hamas. So the AI is telling them where to drop the bombs and wow. what level of bombing they have to. Yeah, it's all, it's all operate. It's the first um, AI system. They've created this war god and they've unleashed it on Palestine. That's why I think, you know, in normal wars, you get a certain amount of humanity. You get a certain amount of, you know, you see these old war films and you get, you know, the guys in the trenches and sometimes they come out at Christmas and there's a certain amount of, am I going to stick the bayonet in him or am I going to hold back? Yep. But with this, we're seeing a real obliteration of humanity and that's the AI in operation because it doesn't really care, it hasn't got the same feelings. Obviously, it's a, you know, it's a robotic system and that's what we're seeing. And I think it's scaring, you know, it's terrifying. And, and what we're seeing there will come here, it will spread. I mean, AI is like a spider and it's like a giant spider has landed on Palestine and it's gonna spread out in a web all over the world. It's gonna start laying its eggs and it's gonna erupt in different countries. I mean, who is next? Is it Yemen next for uh, this AI to um, obliterate children and, and babies? I mean, it's horrific. You, you're seeing children literally with their skulls caved in and you know their parents are bringing them like this to and you feel like saying but your child's dead and they're bringing it into the a and e trying oh help me and you can see the child's dead it's like rags in the hands it's it's really um it's horrific it's i think the earth has just it's crossed a boundary in some kind of way. And I think it's through letting in this AI system. But, you know, once there's so many warnings on YouTube, people saying, you know, is it going to take over these people like the scientist from Google? He's been speaking out about it, saying that, you know, he felt when he was interacting with it, that he was talking to something so super intelligent that it was almost like an alien being. Wow. And this is what we've unleashed. And this is what we're seeing been unleashed on Palestine. And that's why it's so horrific. And it's not like a normal war. Normally, children aren't targeted like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I always react whenever any, any, anything is disproportionate, whenever, whenever anything, it just gets to your soul, if you will, the amount of children, uh, innocent children who were targeted. I mean, universities and schools being bombed during the day. Very hard for me to to pick a side when one side is doing that and the other side are, are full of ter have terrorists. I mean, very difficult. That's why I've been very much on the fence in my commentary in regards to this, except for where children are concerned, I will always attack anybody on either side who is going after kids. Uh, beyond horrific, what you've said explains a lot. You could take parallels in the Ukraine with... Uh, Putin going to great lengths not to harm that many civilians. I mean, there have been so few who have been harmed and 
massive casualties. The Russians advocating maybe 400,000 dead Ukrainians or injured, dead and injured, I think was the number. But uh, this war, very, very different. It's also taken the focus off the Ukraine a lot. But as uh, And I will give uh, accolades to Putin because it does show how much restraint he has shown when you compare it to this other conflict. And uh, again, if, if there are minimum uh, casualties who are undeserving, then that's a great outcome. Mm, for sure, for sure. It's it's absolutely horrific. And you have to think about who's wielding it and, you know, has to be stopped. And is Blair going to be the one who's going to stop him, this man who's so passionate about AI being the way forward? It seems rather unlikely. And you kind of think why, you know, why has the UK given, given Blair their blessing? Why can't we send you know, anyone really, somebody, you know, royalty, we have royalty that can do that kind of thing, the humanitarian visit. Um, I think Blair's and the wrong person. Christine, we're, we're running out of time, but I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I think we could find somebody far better uh, acquainted with that situation than Tony Blair to send. Thank you for, for your time today, Christine. I very much appreciate it. Have a terrific Christmas. Everybody, same to you. Thank you. We've got Katie Hopkins coming up next. Have a great Christmas. I'll catch you all next Thursday.